People from all over the globe are signing up to support Horrodale Media's future. I'm doing my part. I'm going to do my part. I'm doing my part. I'm going to do my part too. <laughs> They're doing their part. Are you? Join the Hollowdale Patreon and support our projects. Donations guarantee patronage. Hi, I'm Adam. And I'm Rob. And welcome to the Hollowdale Media Podcast. We're back, baby, and we're better than ever. It's been months, Rob. It's been literal months, but here we are, welcoming in, well, not really welcoming anymore, sitting some way into another year. Yeah, we've gone through two holidays already. We have, we have. Um, the, the smoochy valentines. And pancake day! Yeah! yeah the greatest day of the first half of the year. Yeah, I didn't have a single pancake. What? I know, I know it's bad. I didn't uh, have the means to cook. I, I've never made a pancake. Flour? I, I never made. Have you made a pancake ever before? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I often cheat because it's just there. Right. Okay. You just get, get a mix thing. I had, I had Polish sausages from the shop, wrapped in pancake and then smothered in maple syrup. That sounds pretty good. And then I had uh, the the classic. Lemon and sugar afterwards. <laughs> yes, yes, that sounds bloody delicious. I'm very <laughs> envious of you. And yet, it's gone now. The only thing we've got look, to look forward to is Easter. But that's way off. That's way off. That's way off. Um, that, that is in the future. What is in the now is this podcast. This very podcast where we discuss a film we've been teasing for about two or possibly three years. Two years ago, back when... <laughs> Um, we were between locations and we were temporarily recording in your sister's flat. Yes. Um, we, I, it might have been an episode where you ate six cream eggs or it might it have been. It could have been. It might have, yeah. Um, but we were talking about bug wars. Bug wars. Bug war. Um, and we said even then, one day we will, we will talk about the film we're going to talk about today. And now that time has come. That time has come. It's time we brought back the bugs of planet p yes it's starship troopers we're doing our part and we're Brilliant. finally talking about one of the best films ever it is it is one of the best films ever we, we watched it um a few days ago and we both cheered at the end because we were so full <laughs> of propaganda yes of <laughs> fascistic joy yeah, yeah we were ready to fight for our nation because we had been hoodwinked <laughs> um, yes indeed more on that later what a film what a film it's also incidentally denise richards's birthday this week happy birthday denise richards, um, richards. as teenagers you made us both very um happy excited yes uh, busy busy <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's been a long time since we spoke to you. There's been lots going on. There's been all sorts going on, but I couldn't tell you one of them. Oh, um, are you I, pregnant? No, I, I I couldn't tell you one of them. I can't remember. It's oh. all a blur. Oh, I mean, I can tell you what uh, what I've been watching. Okay, let's start with that. Um, so first of all, a big announcement for everyone: for the first time in my life, I own an Xbox. Yeah, at the age Yay. of thirty-one. Wow, I can't wait to play it. Um, it was given to me for free. I would never give them the money because I'm a Nintendo boy. This is, of course, the Xbox, the brand new one. No, this is an Xbox 360. Oh. Yeah. 
So four no. generations back, I believe. Yes, yeah, so <laughs> we don't have to talk about that. <laughs> I do want to talk about. Um, I've had to watch this over the, like in three segments um, because of like timing and other stuff happening. But um, for the first time in about eleven years, I watched the good, the bad, and the ugly. Now we watched Once Upon a Time in the West, the greatest that. Western film. Yes, um, it was. Yeah, it's amazing. But I forgot, man. Like people always say. Why does everyone talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly? Why aren't you talking about a fistful of dollars or a once upon a time? Rest? The good, the bad, and the ugly is incredible. I forgot how good it is, man. Like, the characters are so good. The ugly, man, like, he's so, so awesome. Like, the whole, him getting kicked, like, captured and the, the, the relationship that grows between them and how they betray each other throughout the movie is so good. And the end when he's running through the graves and that score comes on by Ennio Morricone. I mean, the score definitely elevates it. I, th- I don't think it's the strongest of the three. I, do you know what? I'm going to have to watch the other two because, again, I watched all three of them, like, uh, yeah, ten years ago. And I'm straight on to the next ones now. But, oh, my God. It's, think, uh, it's such a good movie. Good, the bad and the ugly. I think um, it does stand out. It's obviously got the musical theme that everyone from age two upwards knows yeah exactly. it's the it's the signature one i i think I, yeah it's great don't get me wrong i uh, what i um it's 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 very much a prequel because it's um the, it's blondie's rise to who he becomes in the other films yeah absolutely i uh also liked that i started liking the bad by the end the villain i was like oh, do you yeah. know what you're really cool and you kind of have honor because he kind of like, allowed for the final duel to take place. So I was like, yeah, I just loved all the characters and mm. I'm fully invested in uh, Sergio Leone movies now and I'm going to watch all of them again. <laughs> okay, so, very good. Yeah. Um, I've got them all. Yes, well, I'm going to be stealing them off you. Um, in the meantime, tell me what you've been watching. Um, Soddle. Ah. I've barely been watching anything. I've been busy keeping myself active with different projects and things. I did watch uh, Lower Decks. Right. Which is just about Prime, which is the Star Trek comedy cartoon by the Rick and Morty team. Okay. Which I had no hope for, and I don't think anyone had any hope for. And it's bloody brilliant. Is it? It's really good, yeah. What's it's it? really good. Sorry, what's it on? It's on Prime. It's on Prime. Okay. It's um, it, it it's similar to the Orville, actually. It's because uh, Star Trek's doing a lot of crap at the moment, just churning stuff out. Um, and all the fans are up in an uproar. And this came out, and everyone was like, oh, "Another thing, another space, another, yeah, thing. another turn on Gene Roddenberry in the grave." Um, but no, it's really funny, and it's really witty, and it still tells a kind of interesting sci-fi story. Right. So it's quite interesting that you can do it in a comedy, but not in a serious bloody drama. Discovery. Oh well. Uh, so it's a Seth MacFarlane's thing he did. What was it called again? That was the Orville. The Orville. So that started off funny, and then he just started doing. It just Star became Trek. Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so yeah. this is this is hopefully doing its its own thing more. Uh, but yeah, I mean, along the it's, same sort of line. It's telling. It's a much more light-hearted. But I think by the end, it just won everyone over, and I, I can see why exactly that. Cool. Because uh, I don't want to say anything if anyone's not seen it yet. But yeah, pretty cool. Huh, I, uh, will, I will watch. Sticking in the space theme, I also watched the last series of The Expanse. Good. Which has a yeah, yeah yeah, it's very good. It's got one bit that's brilliant. But do, have you noticed this? I think Game of Thrones did it as well. Um, I say but I haven't seen it. When a series gets really big and starts getting more money involved and the tensions are higher and blah, do you find shows often get squidged? 
Oh my god, if you're talking about Game of Thrones as an example, then you've hit the nail on the head. Because it feels yeah. like Series 1, galaxy-changing events happened, and people were jumping around and flying around and meeting new people and doing interesting things. The latest series, and I'm sure other shows have done as well, it just feels like it all took place in a week. Well, there's... And everyone's in the same locations all the time. Well, what you have to think about, I, I imagine with that is... Writers are smart, writers know about pacing, writers know what they're doing, writers know how fast they're wrapping things up. There's a reason, you don't know if they've been told to, you don't know if they've been uh, sniffed away by other projects, there's always something going on behind the scenes. I mean, people speculate with Game of Thrones that they were like um, tempted off by Star Wars projects. So, oh yeah. Um, and then they just wrapped it up really fast, whether that's true or not, they definitely should have told the last Well, they ran out of materials, and that the other thing as well. They could, have, they could have easily stretched that out to uh, three seasons. It should have been three seasons instead of one. So well, yeah. I yeah. don't know if that's the same. Do you feel like with The Expanse, maybe that should have happened I over just, two series? or it, it, I wonder if several it, more episodes? I wonder if it was Corona, because it felt suddenly like it was one or two people in one place. Right. All series. Oh, yes, that's a good point. And I, I don't know, I, I haven't looked at the timescales, that might have been it, because that makes sense. Mm. Like, we can only film three people in the same location. It makes sense, and you worry that if you don't act fast, then the project falls off and dies, but I think when you... Well, uh, The Expanse is only one more series. It's a limited mm. story. Well, with that, and with, especially with Game of Thrones, when you have a fan base that has invested time over years and years, I think you have a certain dedication to take a step back and look at how the entire thing should wrap up and do it properly yeah um and but like you say they might have had their reasons it might have been covid related but um well yeah, yeah i mean it, i'm not saying it was a bad series it just felt less it yeah. felt lacking mm. i don't know it had I don't, and it still had one of the best moments ever but still yeah yeah mm. interesting but anyway lots to talk about Yes, uh, let's, let's, let's crack on to some stuff. Let's get on. Let's get on to reviewing and news. Yes. Yes. Adam's Film Reviews, Willy's Wonderland 2021. Welcome to Willy's Wonderland. Spend the night cleaning Willy's Wonderland, and I will pay to have your car fixed. Deal? You are officially on staff. Let's get the hell out of here. I can't stand to hear a grown man scream. This place has a dark history. I know the bullshit story they told you. It's a lie. You're here to be a human sacrifice. Have you been listening to a word I've been saying? He's gonna die in here, but he won't listen to me.
Directed by Kevin Lewis from a hotly anticipated screenplay by Geo Parsons, Willy's Wonderland is an action comedy horror starring Nicolas Cage as a silent, hard-as-nails drifter who I'm going to call Mike for absolutely no reason. On paper, and indeed in the trailer, this to me sounds like a perfect film, and you're about to hear why. While driving in Nowhere, Nevada, Mike's car drives over a spike trap in the road and is soon picked up by a seemingly friendly and verbose mechanic, Jed Love, played by Chris Warner. On taking Mike and his car back to the garage, Jed agrees to fix the car for a fee. With no cash on hand, Mike is in a pickle. No card, no service, and no ATMs either. Luckily for Mike, Jed has an idea. See, there's this old abandoned theme restaurant nearby, the eponymous Willy's Wonderland. Shut down after a number of disasters involving uh, mutilated children, Willy's Wonderland is a sty, and the affable owner Tex McAdoo, played by Rick Wright, promises to pay off Mike's debt in exchange for Mike spending the night cleaning the restaurant from top to bottom. Mike silently agrees on the promise that his car will be sat waiting for him outside the restaurant first thing in the morning. Except, Mike isn't entirely on his own. Watching from the theatre stage are eight animatronic puppets, Willy Weasel, Artie Alligator, Cammy Chameleon, Ozzy Ostrich, Tito Turtle, Nighty Night, Gus Gorilla and Siren Sarah, and boy have they got plans for Mike. Meanwhile, a bunch of irritating 20-somethings, who I presume we're supposed to like, gather in a bid to destroy Willy's Wonderland once and for all. Their leader, Liv, played by Emily Toster, who I'm not sure can move any part of her face above her nose, she knows about Mike and intends to save him before it's too late. Too late for what, you say? Well, too late for the giant animatronic monsters to come to life and eat Mike. That's what... Yes, as the trailer likely gave away, the horrifically creepy animatronic puppets are alive, and they thirst for human blood. Mike, however, has a job to do, and nothing's going to get in his way. Not even when he's confronted by Ozzy Ostrich and is forced to beat him into an oily pulp with two halves of a mop before tearing out its metal spine. No, on he goes, mopping the floors, cleaning the mirrors, wiping down the graffiti from the walls before, oh my god, a giant gorilla! And repeat. At this stage, the cartoonish violence mixed with the horror of a walking, talking, animatronic monster was laugh-out-loud fun, with Mike gleefully smashing skulls apart and taking down monsters with all the skill and grace of Nick Sachs. Where the rot set in was with the arrival of Liv and her cronies. Eye-rollingly dull, these stock characters attempt to save Mike and later on Liv's life with about as much foresight as the crew of the Mystery Machine. And not even the wonderful setting and unhinged soundtrack can save it. As the film rolls on, I found the laughs kind of died out and, disappointingly, the gore began to soften too. Sadly, with Willy's Wonderland, there's no rise in stakes beyond some fairly dull exposition and introduction to the local police force. The fun was seeing Nicolas Cage scowl and wander around the restaurant, just looking baffled. Although the film ultimately delivered on what was promised in the trailers, I can't help but feel it could have been so much more. More gore, more interesting characters, more... everything. In hindsight, 
I really wish Ash vs. the Evil Dead lasted long enough to introduce this premise because that's a show of a cast I could truly root for and would deliver on its ultra-violence in a far more satisfying way. It almost got there, and it is mildly fun, I just hope for more. Willy's Wonderland is currently available to rent on Amazon Prime, YouTube, iTunes and more. Is it worth the rental? Probably not. Wait till it's free, sit back and watch Nicolas Cage serve up the perfect entry into Five Nights at Freddy's. It's birthday time! I enjoy a man a few words. Welcome to Fortnite Schmortnite 2021! Ooh. The movie news segment that gives you the gossip you've already heard, but better. Yes. Correct. Back. The producer of the upcoming Mortal Kombat movie has been reduced to tears after an incredibly positive reaction from the Mortal Kombat fan base. Positive, Adam! The internet's been nice! No It's been way. nice. Um, so it's Todd Garner is the producer here, along with James Wan, who produced uh, the Conjuring films. Um, so this trailer, wow, it, in terms of uh, keeping the fans happy, it's got Raiden, it's got Liu Kang, it's got Scorpion, it's got Jax, it's got Sonya Blade, it's got Goro, it's got an Australian Kano, it's got Sub-Zero stabbing a guy, spraying the blood out, freezing it into a dagger and then stabbing him again. But, Rob, does it have... Dusty! No, it does not have... So I didn't even know about this. So uh, before we started, Adam showed me like a piece of like Mortal Kombat folklore of this uh, Easter egg where one of the... I think it's one of the developers just pops up in the corner. Well, I think it's when you do a certain combo and he goes... And it's... And what? So it started in like Mortal Kombat 2 and it's like yeah. lasted throughout it's all It's in every single one since. Amazing. So you're not going to be satisfied unless that's in the film. I just want it uh, just somewhere. Just someone goes... Oh. That's a post credit scene, yeah, yeah. isn't it? If, if ever there was one. Um, so, so Todd Garner, he had this to say. He said, more combat fans, I'm watching your reactions to the trailer and I'm in tears. Sometimes fans forget that there are humans behind these movies and I personally had to be away from my family for almost five months to work on this. Your smiles and gasps have made, gasps have made it all worthy. Uh, thank you. So that's really cool. Um, it's due to release this year in cinemas as well as on HBO Max in America. Ugh. do do um, We need to talk about HBO Max. I want to see Godzilla vs. King Kong. In a cinema? In a cinema. Yes. And it's coming out on HBO Max. Lame. Although apparently it's coming out in Cineworld a month later. Later? Yeah. Can you say... I'm, I'm going to buy a Cineworld card um, when cinemas reopen. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to... I'm gonna, Go to the movies all the time if I can. But yeah, I know I've been missing it. That's my one thing. That's my version of your gym. Yeah, it's it's um yeah for you it's your lifeblood to go to the movies. Anyway. But yeah, um bloody HBO Max. Stupid HBO Max. Um please, 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 if the world returns to normal sooner than hoped, watch Mortal Kombat at the cinema and don't stream it. Um. Dun, 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 dun. Sorry. <laughs> it's alright. It happens to us all. <laughs> Uh, what else is going on? Train to Busan is getting remade by Hollywood. What? Um, this isn't too much of a surprise. 2016's Train to Busan has become one of the must-see movies of the zombie genre. Um, ever since Parasite reigned supreme at the Oscars last year, more and more Westerns, Westerners have been turning their attention to Korean cinema. That is, uh, that is fact. 
Um, apparently, New Line Cinema are in talks to get Timo Tahanto. I don't know how to say that. In the chair for it, he's done VHS two, made the devil take you. Oh, not okay. For us, he's, he's done he's done some cool stuff. Um, do you know what? I'm not that angry about this. Like, um, occasionally we get uh, Eastern movies right. We did a good job with The Ring. We did a good job with The Grudge. We have completely ruined some stuff, like Old Boy. Um, I was about to say Old Boy, um, but yeah, I think um, not so sure about The Ring either. Rings, I think the ring holds up, man. I think Have you seen the Japanese ones, though? No, yeah. Oh, they're so, yeah. But there, then there are people different. who say they're different. There, there's a debate about them. Oh, is there? Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, you know I love trains. I love train <laughs> movies. Like the Darjeeling Limited, I love that movie. I know this will be a bit different. Yeah. Um, so I'm all for it. More train movies, the better. Um, so, yeah, I'm not completely against this... Um, robbery of, of, of uh, I'd like to cinema. see one cut of the dead yeah remade that'd be cool use real directors I don't know put Edgar Wright in yeah there. yeah yeah that'd be cool um have you heard about the battle for the bow the viral debate that's just been going on about who the best archer is in movies slash television no so this is cool. What, what um, do I do with my time? <laughs> I don't know anything. This is really... I don't know how big this got, but I thought it was... Was this just Reddit? I thought it was funny. No, this was all over Twitter. Oh, really? Um, so a post went viral asking the world who they think is the best archer. The candidates are Legolas, Oliver Queen from the TV series Arrow, <laughs> Katniss Everdeen from the Hunger Games, <sighs> and Hawkeye. So, um, first of all... Where's Robin Hood? I mean... Good point. Where is Kevin Costner, man? Yeah. <laughs> um, so these are some of the tweets um, that they read. Um, so this is Happy Elf Erineal. So I guess we all know who she's going to be voting for. <laughs> Legolas did not slide down a flight of stairs on an orc shield while shooting arrows and taking up three orcs to be compared to Hawkeye. Old Yukon Cornelius says, My man Hawkeye was putting arrows between alien eyeballs moving 80 miles an hour through the streets of Manhattan from the top of a skyscraper. This is not a real question. Shut up, Yukon. Um, I don't remember Katniss Everdeen really doing anything impressive with a bow. No, she didn't. Um, she just had one. And this is Alicia Garuso, Hawkeye Katniss, Oliver Green, regular humans with 50 years experience combined. Legolas Greenleaf, 2,931 years old, and an effing elf who can see riders on horseback almost 20 miles away when he's not even trying. I forget that his surname's Greenleaf. What a stupid... It's horrible, isn't it? Terrible, embarrassing name. It's really grating. Um, <laughs> it went down to a vote. Legolas won hands down. He took 70%. Um, I think, like... Legolas, for me, he I mean, he's using a longbow, right? It's going to be harder. Like, Hawkeye's got all his gadgets and stuff. I think it's close. I think Hawkeye's very good at his, with his bow and arrow, isn't he? He's good at shooting things. However, Legolas doesn't have any of his cool stuff. Legolas is the only one I can think of who stabbed someone in the throat with an arrow, then shot it at someone else. And then shot it at someone else! <laughs> yeah. Oh. Like... There's no argument. I'm I'm a Legolas. I'm Legolas. Yeah, I'm I'm easily Legolas. I mean Legolas Greenleaf. <laughs> I don't remember We're Hawkeye. Talk. Did Hawkeye climb up an oliphant and shoot all of the 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 dudes off as he climbed up the oliphant? Did he fly on top of a spaceship or something though? Oh what? A um, space worm. Hawkeye. Yeah. Yeah, he did that, and, and he did that no look shot when he was looking the other way. I'd but... argue that probably is better than an oliphant. Mm, well, well, an elephant isn't yeah, an alien. Black Widow did that too. Yes. Like, um, 
I, I don't think Katniss Aberdeen is in the argument and people will say, oh my god, you're sexist. No, she doesn't really... I don't, I don't remember doing anything that cool. I don't remember like doing any backflips and mid shots or anything like that. I don't know anything about the dude from Arrow. I assume he's good. I, I never watched it. Um, no, me neither. Uh, Katniss Aberdeen, her strength is beyond just being an archer though. I'd say Legolas probably doesn't have much more going for him. No, no, he's very, he's a very good drinker. And same with Hawkeye as well. Meh. Yeah. Never cared. Good, good dad. Um, finally, um, Emperor Palpatine is going to write a memoir. Oh, really? So, in November 2019, <laughs> Lucasfilm published an in-universe book called Secrets of the Jedi, which was penned by Luke Skywalker himself. This served as a manual to the light side of the Force. Um... I haven't read it, but I imagine it included romantic recommendations like sunset walks on Tatooine, the best recipes of Endor, lightsaber customization sticker book, that e- sort of thing. Roasted Ewok. Um, so coming out in August, Palpatine himself will serve as the reader's guide to the dark side of the Force. I actually... I'd quite like to get that. Yeah. So he, <laughs> he explores notable villains such as Darth Maul, Azaj Ventress. Am I saying that right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty close. Da- Darth Vader and Kylo Ren through to the force powers and abilities of the dark side. Um, <laughs> but dear, dear diary, today I blew up a planet. Um, what would you like to see Palpy talk about in what I imagine will be a hugely... I want Palpy to talk about... The backlash of the prequels, number one. <laughs> I want him to talk about Mr. Blinkett, his best friend. Uh, oh, that's I. I want to. This is something I think Robot Chicken explored. I want to talk about how disappointed he is with Darth Vader. Yeah. Dear diary. <laughs> Darth Vader killed me today, and I've been sucked into another body. I thought he would be good. Instead, he was a prick. <laughs> No, I, uh, yeah, no, I like that. Um, that's, that's fun. I imagine it'll be a hugely erotic tale, um, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, so concludes Fortnite Schmort Night. Very good. In every age, there is a cause worth fighting for. But in the future, the greatest threat to our survival will not be man at all. Hey, Jason, what's going on? It's war! We're going to war! Now, the youth of tomorrow must travel across the stars to defend our world. We are a generation commanded by fate to defend humankind. Everyone fights, no one quits. We are going in with first wave! You smash the entire area, you kill anything that has more than two legs, you get me? We get you, sir! But they will face an enemy more devastating than any ever imagined. Here it comes! It's coming! This is Roughneck Tuesday. Render attack, sir. We need retrieval now. Someone made a damn mistake. The bugs laid a trap for us, didn't they? Prepare for battle and journey to the front lines of the next frontier. Kill them all! Starship Troopers. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.
Starship Troopers. Starship Troopers. Oh, bug war. Bug war, bug war, bug war. Uh, so long we've been, we've been talking about talking about this film for so long. And we're finally here and yeah. This film I rate alongside another film we've done, Tremors, as one of the most perfect films ever made. Yes, yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, Starship Troopers is a film that I feel like I've grown up with weirdly. It came out in ninety. Well, it came out in ninety eight in the UK, ninety seven everywhere in America, uh, and I've kind of every stage of my life I've had a different experience watching it. Yeah, yeah, it taught me through some of them. Well, I remember being quite young and watching it with horror because it's yeah, scary. Me too. And I think I think my brother had it on um, tape, so I just had it lying around. And one day, put it on. <laughs> and I remember moments being really scary. I remember. Uh, there's a big attack and they all get eaten and shot and it's oh god this is awful and then later on it being yay yes but the overall impression was as a kid I was ready to sign up <laughs> yeah, I wanted brilliant. to kill the bugs yes yes 100% um, whereas now I feel I, well I think I, there was probably an intermediate stage when I realised it was satire well, you probably feel... in my teens, and then and sort of now I'm like, it's dumb. Well, the fact that uh, you know, like, it's common knowledge that the the opening scene was more or less shot for shot from a Reich propaganda film. Yes, um, from 1935. Uh, so it probably worked on you in exactly the same way. Well, that's the worrying <laughs> thing, that's isn't the it? Thing. You were, yeah, you were inspired by it as if you were a Hitler youth. Yeah, but it's true, and that that does give you a worry <laughs> a worrying glimpse into the propaganda. Absolutely. It's um it cuz it's it's the thing Starship Troopers is it sounds like a ridiculous action film. Yeah. It sounds like the new Star Wars. I think a lot of people went into it expecting the new Star Wars. Uh but it's not at all. It's it's oh, got no. so many layers built into it. Um directed by Paul Verhoeven and written by Ed Newmyer who both worked together on RoboCop, which is another similar thing where you expect it to be schlocky, dumb, I'm a robot and I'm a cop. Bush, bash, fight the baddies. But actually it's a it's a parody of 80s America and urban subcultures and corporations and all that good stuff. A lot of people I speak to um, seem to be along, um, like of the impression that it's based on German... Uh, propaganda but it's the f- entire film is all about america it's all about how americans recruit and um the culture it like within it is rife throughout this film of how soldiers are spoken to how they're recruited how they're trained how they're inspired paul verhoven um like he i think he famously said that the theme of this film is war makes fascists of us all and um I mean, you only have to watch it once to know what he's talking about. Well, Paul, in uh, in an article in uh, quite recent, 2018, Paul Verhoeven in The Guardian talks about how this was a deliberate effort to show that America is on the brink of fascism. Mm. Um, the line is, as a European, it seemed to me that certain aspects of US society could become fascistic. The refusal to limit the amount of arms, the number of executions in Texas when George W. Bush was governor, all that stuff. So the film, it kind of opens on a a very well-lit Beverly Hills 90210, wonderful, lovely American suburban high school drama. I mean, drama. It's, a, it's a utopia. Yeah. 
isn't it? Yeah. Um, and it opens on this on this very very brightly lit, very much shot like a TV movie or just a TV soap, um, with lots of very young, attractive eyes glittering in the moonlight uh, teens mm. who are living their perfect idyllic suburban Californian, let's face it, life, even though it's in Buenos Aires. And then it goes crazy. Mm. But I think, it, I feel like it's deliberate that the film opens on a pristine, perfect... Yeah, it's it's very deliberate. There's no racism, there's no sexism, there's no sort of nastiness. And it was, and Paul Verhoeven himself, he said that uh, if he made a film where they were kind of... Uh, demonising fashionism without any sort of satire where they were just kind of going fully on the nose no one would care it would be a dumb film everyone would be like well this is like any other film but the fact he's gone the opposite way and made this perfect utopian almost Aryan world is um, like it's, it's it's a very good choice isn't it to do that And uh... well absolutely and the, 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 the novel it's based on Starship Troopers by Robert Heinlein is the opposite it's very much a straight poker faced. This is what future war is, mm. isn't it? Cool. Um, I've, I have read it. It's you can see why the cast of Aliens were told to read it before their role as the Marines. Oh, really? And in fact, I think the Marine Corps even have it on their recommended reading list, like the genuine, real U.S. Marines. Um, it's very much about tactical unit training and how it feels to be serving together but the whole thing is that everyone's volunteers and you're treated with respect and Mm. it does feel like a recruitment thing even though i did read it with a sort of slight scowl like people have accused it of being fascistic itself Mm. haven't they it 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 is but it only in a sort of post-war way right like i wouldn't read it and think these are the bad guys i'd read it and go these guys have been at war for ages Yeah, yeah yeah um it's definitely of its time. It's the fifties. Um, Paul Verhoeven, when he directed Starship Troopers, he tried to read the book and couldn't. Just bored. <laughs> it, it, it bored him, but it also depressed him because it is it is quite grim reading. Um, luckily, Ed Newmyer was a fan, so when he adapted the script, obviously together they wove this more satirical element to it. Um, but it's still, I'd say, the book is the first half of the film. It's mostly about training, mm. and then it's a little bit afterwards. Do you know what? Funnily enough, I around about the time the movie came out, I went up hitching cricket grounds, and it was just after November the 5th, and someone had chucked a load of books on the bonfire to burn. And one of the books... What? <laughs> yeah, was it, that's a little bit fascistic. <laughs> there, there wasn't any Bibles or Qurans. Well, or, or... Hitching cricket pitch in 1938. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, there was... Uh, Starship Troopers was there. And, okay. Um, it was one of the few books that survived, and I took it home and I tried to read it and I couldn't. And I, and I was, I, you know, I was really young at the time. I was going to say it's just, quite grown up. I yeah, so I was probably too young for it, but um, I, I remember thinking it was heavy at the very, you know, if anything, I can't really remember much else. But. It does do, does quite cool stuff though. I mean, like if you're talking men in power armor shooting rockets at uh, churches and innocents, <laughs> it's quite grim. But yeah. Cool. Uh, the film, on the other hand, it tells it follows uh, Johnny Rico, played by Casper Van Dien, who signs up to the mobile infantry, having not persuaded, but I think was he? Why did he do it? 
um, he saw all his friends signing up. I think um, he was inspired by his teacher, Rorschach. Yeah. Um, I think I'm saying that right. It's not... Uh, it's Rush, close. Rorschach. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, th- yeah, he was always inspiring him and, um, you know, he had well, that one arm going on. Here's the thing. So, so Johnny Rico's best friend, Carl, played by... Neil Patrick Neil, Harris. Neil Patrick Harris, indeed. Uh, who is a, a go-getter. He's psychic. It's sort of, it's not made a big deal of, but it's quite clearly happening. Um, and of course, Johnny Rico's girlfriend, Carmen, played by Denise Richards, the lovely Denise lovely Richards. Denise Richards. Um, uh, Carmen's desperate to get into the Navy, the fleet, and she needs a great math score, which she gets, and she's really happy about it and excited about it. Carl, he, he wants to get into like military intelligence and things. He scores in the top percent of psychics, doesn't he? he smashes yeah, things out. absolutely. And whereas Rico doesn't really know what to do, he's sort of stuck. He can stay at home with his dad and pick up his business or something. Uh, he just he's doesn't got rich, want to do it. privileged parents, and he can definitely, if he wants to, just go to rich, privileged uh, life, which is what his parents always planned for him. Now, here's the thing: in this world, military service is voluntary, but by completing your two-year stint, you get citizenship. Which opens up all the doors. Mm. It, you, it trickles in throughout the film that with citizenship, you can. It's easier to get a license to have children. Uh, you need citizenship to be uh, to get into politics. One of them wants to be a writer. Yeah, that's a, that's an odd one. And and is, does that kind of tie into the whole fascist thing? They control what's being written. Is that like Could they want be. to brainwash or, you before they make you a writer? Or he just wanted to tell the story. He just wanted to tell the story of the of, yeah. you know his comrades and stuff, or just to meet people. Um, and yeah, Rico's conversations with Rayshak. Rayshak. Oh, how do you say his bloody name? Razchek. Razchek. I'll do. Oh, whatever. Uh, his teacher. There's something interesting about that because the film kind of opens when we meet Rico. He's he's in a classroom being taught the importance of violence in history. There's a line that I didn't understand when I first watched it that now makes so much sense. Look, when you vote, you are exercising political authority. You're using force. And force, my friends, is violence. The supreme authority from which all other authority is derived. Uh, my mother always said violence never solves anything. Really? I wonder what the city fathers of Hiroshima would say about that. You. They probably wouldn't say anything. Hiroshima was destroyed. Correct. Naked force has resolved more issues throughout history than any other factor. The contrary opinion, that violence never solves anything, is wishful thinking at its worst. People who forget that always pay. It's an argument. It is. That's what makes it so good. You're not meant to enjoy it so much, but you do. Well, you are meant to enjoy it. That's the beauty of Starship Troopers. The moment after that is interesting, though, because Rico is asked the question, and he gives a really textbook answer. And even uh, Rezcek sort of says, perfect answer, but do you believe it? And he's like, mm, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I believe it. At that point, a traditional film, would that would be the indication that Rico is going to rebel. That at some point he's going to realise that it's all nonsense... Mm. And turn his back on the system and fight against it and save the world. And spread the lesson to his friends. But look, this is what's wrong with the system. Yeah. The truth is, <laughs> this film, at this from this point onwards, it's a slow descent. A lack. Rico loses all humanity as the film goes on. Mm. 
And by the end, he's just part of the system. He's just a cog in the machine. He's just a soldier. He's just made for killing. And it's well, great. That, well, that's it. Because the, that's a good analogy. Because it's like they turn old and new. Mm. They bring in these new these kids straight out of school as the older people sort of retreat back with their severed limbs and their burnt acid faces. And who we see, every time we see an old person in this film, they're crippled. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, like even the person who he enlists with um, behind the chair, he's like. What about you, son? Infantry, sir. Good for you. Mobile infantry made me the man I am today. Wheels away, and he's got one. He's got no legs, <laughs> robot arm. One bit which is kind of really poignant in that kind of uh, message is when um, they go to Planet P for the first time, and they are tricked by the bugs. And um, they go to the outpost. They see that there's corpses everywhere, some with mysterious holes in their heads. And then the bugs come in their thousands, and they massacre half of a. Uh, the platoon, or whatever you call it, the Rico's a part of at that point. Um, he loses one of his best friends. Like, won't say who for spoiler's sake. And um, afterwards, goes back onto the ship, furious, sees his friend off into space, like the body. And Neil, uh, Carl, Neil Patrick Harris's character, comes along. How are you, Carl? Carmen, good. Johnny, I'm sorry it had to be your unit on P. That mission had a very low survival probability. The bugs laid a trap for us, didn't they? Elegant proof of intelligence, isn't it? We thought there might be a brain bug on P. You knew and you sent them anyway? We couldn't afford to launch an operation if there wasn't one. You don't approve? Well, too bad. We're in this for the species, boys and girls. It's simple numbers. They have more. And every day I have to make decisions that send hundreds of people like you to their deaths. Didn't they tell you, Colonel? That's what the mobile infantry's good for. I hope you're ready for more. We're going back to P to capture that brain. The roughnecks are always ready, sir. I hear they need a new lieutenant. Want the job? I'll take it. Till I get killed or you find someone better. And not only does um, Rico accept it, he smiles and he likes it. <laughs> he wants to be a part of this machine. And that's it feeds into that propaganda. They... He's so, like, inspired by this, like, you know, they don't care about him. But he loves it. He's like, yeah, throw me back in. I'm, I'm happy to die for my country. Yeah. It's, it's, it, and, and I think that, is that probably the the moment he becomes just a machine? Yeah. Is that the moment he sort of goes, I think oh, it well, is. that's it. I, I think it is. Because yeah. at that point, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's lieutenant as well. Yeah, he's been boosted promoted. up, yeah. isn't he? Feel promoted. That's it, because everyone, when you die, when someone dies... You get bumped up. Yeah. Well, the best person gets bumped up. It's pretty, like people like a like a friend like gets carried away and ripped to shreds, and a rush check like he shoots him, and then he turns to Rico and says, "You just got promoted." And Rico just smiles to himself. Yeah, yeah, He's yeah. Just like yeah, you're, my turn. To- you're there until you die, or I find someone better. Yeah. That's the line. Yeah. So that's the so Social Troopers is a story following Rico mostly as he advances from schoolboy to boot camp trainee, to squad leader, and then to lieutenant of his own command. Mm. All after the pointless... <laughs> the whole war is doesn't make any sense. There's a, there's a very sub... There's a subtext. That you can't see it. Humans are the baddies. 
100%. Because they invade a bug planet with Mormons. The bug pl- the bugs didn't even know humans existed. Exactly. And then, yeah. So they land a colony on this planet. The bugs fight back by shooting an asteroid into Earth, which causes this massive war. And at no point have the humans done anything innocent. I mean, that's <laughs> that's the history of America. That's the history of Britain. That's what we've done in war. We've uh, invaded and then we've painted the people we invaded as the baddies. What I like is that that's never explicitly said. No. You just have to sort of go, hang on a minute. Because the film presents itself as the humans are victims. Mm. Because this bloody great asteroid gets shot into Buenos Aires. Out of the ashes of Buenos Aires comes first sorrow, then anger. The only good bug is a dead bug. In Geneva, the Federal Council convenes. We must meet the threat with our valor, our blood, indeed with our very lives, to ensure that human civilization, not insect, dominates this galaxy now and always. Sky Marshal Beans announces plans for an offensive against Clendathy, source of the bug meteor that destroyed Buenos Aires. Considering this film came out in 97, it's remarkably similar to events that happened in 2001. Mm. The propaganda, the immediate declaration of war. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, 100%. Interesting, isn't it? I, um... This film is uh, extremely immersive. Like, obviously, we referenced at the start of the show the kind of... uh, It's as if you're watching the propaganda video yourself, or you are. Would you like to know more? Would you like to know more? You feel like you are being uh, spoken to by the the army. Um, What's fascinating in that is you're kind of playing. And normally in these films, you're playing the goody. And do you know what's the best thing of all about this film is this time I'm playing the baddie when I'm watching it and I kind of love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's nice to play the bad guy for once. It's the same with uh, Small Soldiers. Yeah. I'm, I'm Team Commando team the whole commander, way. Yeah. All right, ladies, now listen and listen good. Our mission, destroy the Gorgonite enemy, defeat him. Yes, yes sir. sir. There will be no mercy. Search the area and secure new arms. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting thing, and it's even just though fun, isn't it? just a, it's even just though thing, you yeah. can see, you know the satire, even though you know it's bad, you yeah. still cheer at the end, yeah. and they say we'll win. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now here's another thing. So I mentioned that the satire was lost on me as a kid. So too was the character of Carmen. Oh God, yeah, we need to talk about Carmen. So Carmen Abanez, Denise Richards. When I first saw it, she was the perfect girlfriend. She's beautiful, genuinely beautiful. Uh, smart. Smart, charming, um, looks good in the uniform, as they say. Um, meanwhile, there's there's Dizzy Flores, played by Dina Mayer, who has a big crush on Rico, but he's not interested, because he's interested in Carmen. Now, as a kid, I grew up thinking that Carmen was the best of the best of the best, and Dizzy was an annoying stalker girl. Right. As I've got older, I've realised how absolutely horrible Carmen is. She's the worst. She's the devil woman. 
She's the worst. She's a massive flirt. To the point that in a in a championship indoor American football bouncy game that they're playing, she starts flirting with the quarterback <laughs> or whatever on the other team during the match. Yeah, who Rico had just had a... Had an altercation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and then... Uh, she what else does she do? She keeps it going. Well, she so she's always flirts. She every time we see her, she's rejecting Rico. Mm. Uh, he manages to get a kiss off after the class, but she's like, no, 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 not here. Um, so yeah, so she flirts with uh, with Patrick Muldoon's character uh, Xander, who she learns that he's going to the fleet. So she's all like, oh, I want to go to the fleet. Um, and every time we see her. With other people, she's always, oh, his sister's in the fleet. I need to go talk to him. And on the the final dance, the, the after their graduation, um, she's chatting to Xander again when Rico finds her. Mrs. Xander. Yeah, we know each other from the game. No hard feelings? Oh, none at all. We won. Come on, Carmen. It's last dance. Maybe I'll see you at the academy. Yeah, who knows? Good luck. Xander's going for pilot, too. You two have so much in common. Johnny and Rico. Are you jealous? Well, maybe. You don't have to be jealous. Hey, hey, break it up, you two. There's a place for that sort of thing. I've been thinking, and I'm gonna do it, Carmen. I'm gonna go for federal service. That's great. Carl and I are signing up tomorrow. Come with us. I will. My father's not home tonight. She's even before she dumps Johnny. She's fl- like when uh, he finds out when she finds out that Xander's gonna train her. She's heavily flirting with oh, him. Oh, yeah. Heavily flirting with and him. And, the like, the first letter she sends to Rico while he's in boot camp, after he sent a quite a fun message to her, the first one's a Dear John. The first letter she sends is, eh, I'm going to go career. I'm going to go career. Yeah, we've got to do what's best for our careers. See ya. I hope we're friends. Yeah. <laughs> oh, cuts to the core. Especially that great line. Funny, they always ask to be friends after they rip your guts out, huh? Yeah. Mm. Anyway, well, she's a free woman. She can do as she pleases. Yeah, but she's evil. She is, but she's very nasty about it. Dizzy, on the other hand, I've always grown more and more to. She's a perfect woman. Um, I. She's a bit stalkery. She's a bit yeah. She's a bit stalkery, but I like her tomboyishness. I like how she's hard as nails. So I went to New Zealand uh, about six years ago. Now I went to Armageddon, which is the Comic Con in New Zealand, and I saw Casper von Dean and Dina Mayer there doing a talk. And they were so happy to be there. They were so bubbly. They were talking about stories from Starship Troopers. They're so full of life. And they were so flirty. And Casper Van Dien was like making little dirty jokes about, hey, yeah, well, I got to see your boobs. <laughs> Stuff like that. And uh, she loved it. It, it, was, it was absolutely fantastic. Um, and so she's great in real life and in Starship Troopers. And I definitely would have cho- chosen her if I, if, if I was so lucky. It's, it, yeah, it's, um, it's a funny thing, that. It, that's why I say this film... Probably more than most, I've really grown up with, because it, I've seen it in so many different ways. Mm. Um, Carl is still weird and freaky. Yeah, 
Um, that I like that they <laughs> called him. Um, he was Dougie Hauser, wasn't he? And yeah. they used to refer to him as Dougie Himmler when he came out <laughs> in his SS uniform, <laughs> which is fantastic. I need to just quickly say about my story of um, watching it for the first time. Uh, my brother did shortly after destroying me with Scream and um, exposing <laughs> me to Drew Barrymore getting disemboweled. He brought back Starship Troopers. And because I'd been exposed to Scream, I could make myself through most of the gore in the film and only like cash in a few nightmares until the brain scene. Mm-hmm, the brain scene. The brain scene, my God, is utterly horrifying. Even now, it kind of gave me a kind of shiver up my spine because you know it's coming. There's a big weight. The suspense is absolutely perfect. And you see that. I mean, the design of the brain bug in itself is... I mean, it's beautiful because it's in its grossness, isn't it? Yeah, we should say... So the, the film, the sort of objective becomes that they believe the bugs have an intelligence. Uh, and they believe they call it the brain bug, and they're sort of following these clues, and eventually they they go and track one down, and they believe these brain bugs. Number one, it looks like a big fat brain, but number two, it sucks your brains out. <laughs> it sucked his brain out. Um, he uh, they, the brain bug will sort of learn about you by eating your brains. Nightmare fuel, uh, and it does so via. If you, so imagine a big. Blobfish, yeah, with spider eyes, with, with, spi- eyes. with spider eyes, a big vagina nose, and out from the vagina, a sort of wasp stinger, and the wasp stinger goes in your head, and with a horrific slurpy, <laughs> sucks out your brains. The last puppet they had for it had shades of Arnie on Mars in Total Recall, didn't it? When the eyes go yeah. back. Yeah. Um, but yes. Ugh. Yeah, so we, we it, it holds on it. Yeah. And as the as the guy's face, Xander's face, just gets sucked in and goes grey and... Yeah. It's gross. I remember man. a friend of mine uh, challenging me to not look away. Just don't look away. <laughs> and I was fine. I was absolutely fine. Yeah, you're cut from that cloth. Yeah. <laughs> Like a straw, it's like watching a, someone drink a slush puppy for a straw. <laughs> um, it's more gross when it gets cut off and all the oh yeah, it oozes out. Uh, and yes, it's worth saying that the I think this is the best looking film of all time in terms of effects. Yeah, this comes from the golden age of the late nineties, where models, puppets, and CGI just blurred into one. Hmm. Uh, CGI, of course, now is used almost exclusively, but back then they were creative with it. Yeah. Um, this film was up against Titanic and Jurassic Park 2, Lost World, and the Oscars for best special effects. This lost out to Titanic, obviously, but that shows you the pedigree that it was mm. at. Oh, yeah. um, this had bloody 15-foot-tall puppets. Yeah, it was incredible. On Rob puppets, and it's there's videos online from... Studio ADI did all the practical effects. Uh, there's also videos of the of the models, the miniatures they use for the spaceships, and how they blew them up. And these things are 30, 40 foot long. That's oh, amazing. It's incredible the amount of production design in this film, and I can't get over how good it looks. Even the sequels to Starship Troopers don't look as good as this. You, you were talking about like one bit you referenced in the film as well, how there was a seamless crossing over of a kind of. Uh, space the, window it's all seamless isn't it how there's the perfect cut is this in this film mm. it's a moment when there's a there's a scene very much like d-day 
all the soldiers land on the planet and run out onto the beach and massacre. Um, but there's a moment when the, the ship, the drop ship, comes down, and I presume it's CGI, but it could be a model. And it comes down and just seamless transition cuts to the door opening, soldiers running out. Yeah, amazing. And it's one of the best looking shots. It, uh, it really blows it's the mind. It's beautiful. And I, I'm, I'm, hard, I, I'm hopeful that they'll start using this again. I mean, they kind of have more so than like, say, back in 2009, 2008. You're kind of seeing puppets creeping back in here and there. But I don't think it'll ever be used so intelligently again. Maybe. Depends who gets gets their mitts on whatever project, but um, well, the, one of the reasons I think why like Jurassic Park looks so good is because it was imperfect. Mm. They had to use clever cuts. Imagine the T Rex scene in Jurassic Park in daylight. Yeah, how well, rubbish would it look? That's, that was the trick, wasn't it? Mm. They, then they rain helps as well, and all the, all of these things to obscure. And that's it. And so what you'd have is you'd have a close up shot of a really beautiful puppet, and then you transition to the CGI as it walks away and. But even like it's your limitations that made it look better. But even the like in Starship Troopers in the day when they're in the outpost and all of the hundreds of aliens come charging forward, they even did an amazing job making that look good. Yeah, the worst the worst shots still look better than some of the best shots. Yeah, like it, the worst one of the worst shots is probably Rico on the back of the giant beetle. Yeah, and I compared that to Legolas, didn't yeah, I? And, and it he, still looks better. And it looks better than Legolas on the Cave Troll, which was, well, that was famously abysmal. But um, if you compare Starship Troopers to the Jurassic World movies, like the difference is night and day in how cleverly the effects are used. I've um, never been more afraid of a giant staple remover 100%. than Starship Troopers. It's, uh, yeah, it's it's it's... Very, very, very good. Is it going in a holiday media for? Uh, yes, it is the Hall of Fame. <laughs> it's, it's, it perch is it has its own throne. It's, um, <laughs> it's a freaking absolute masterpiece. I um, hope we covered it enough. Like, there's yeah. so much. Yeah, we'll do it again. <laughs> we'll just do it again. Yeah. We'll watch it next year, we'll just, we're watching. We're, we're reviewing Starship <laughs> Troopers again. This time, just looking at Carl. <laughs> okay, cool. Well. This film is a perfect film until it dies or we find one better. Nice. How's that? Yes, 100%. Hey, squad! Go, go, you Sir, I don't understand. Who needs a knife in a nuke fight anyway? All you gotta do is push a button. Sir, cease fire. Stand on that wall, trooper. Put your hand on that wall! The enemy cannot push a button if you disable his hand. Adam's Film Reviews Space Sweepers 2021 With Earth no longer habitable the only place left to go was up Welcome to the orbit Space debris 1.7 tons Space debris 1.7 tons 
Newly released on Netflix, Space Reapers is a South Korean space opera film and, notably, said to be the first Korean space blockbuster. Directed by Jo Sung-hee, Space Reapers whisks us away to the end of the 21st century, where Earth has become pretty much uninhabitable. Thick, orange smoke fills the air while radioactive trash litters the globe, poisoning the Earth. For those skilled, rich, or lucky enough, however, the UTS Corporation is there to serve. Building orbital stations, the lucky few are able to leave the Earth for a new life in space. Though UTS have other plans, the successful colonisation and terraforming of Mars, for instance, wanting to build a new perfect world, free from the ravages and evils of humanity that caused Earth's downfall. Led by the sinister James Sullivan, played to perfection by Richard Armitage cosplaying as Yahtzee Croshaw, UTS stands for the future of humanity in the stars, and it's all looking a bit too good to be true. Meanwhile, many of those who are capable of escaping Earth, but not yet able to sign up to UTS's utopian citizenship program, survive as space sweepers. See, space, particularly in orbit, is absolutely riddled with junk and debris. And all of this is a threat to UTS's orbital stations. So, naturally, a bounty is placed on the debris. Not only to protect the company's assets, but to process the raw materials in exchange for a pitiful amount of money. One of these space sweeper ships is the Korean vessel Victory. Modified and over-engineered to the point of lunacy, the Victory is led by the badass babe Captain Yang, played by Kim Tae-ri, warrior mechanic Tiger Park, played by, by Jin Seung-ki, the desperate money-hungry Kim Tae-yo, played by Song Yun-ki, and their wise-cracking robot Bubs, played by Yu Hae-jin. As a crew, they're teetering on the edge, with debts racking up, payments due, and with Tae-ho's nasty habit of stealing from the ship's supplies for extra cash, the Victory crew are cowboy bebopping their way through the galaxy, and are in need of some serious salvage. Thankfully for them, the Victory crew find the perfect ship and fight off the rest of the international space sweepers for it. On board, however, they find something they weren't quite expecting. Enter Dorothy. Named as a robot wearing skin grafts and also a walking talking weapon of mass destruction, supposedly created by the terrorist group Black Fox. Dorothy's name and face are broadcast across every channel, with the UTS demanding that she be brought in at the first opportunity she is discovered. The trouble is, Dorothy, played by Parky Wren, is just a little too cute for the Victory crew to just hand in. After a botched ransom, in which we see the incredibly awesome-looking UTS police force slash militia, the crew grow increasingly attached to Dorothy and soon find themselves fleeing not only the UTS, but the Black Fox too, both of which are desperate to pick Dorothy 
for their own reasons. In true anime style, the Victory Crew must learn to work together as a team while they uncover the secret history of Dorothy and work together to foil the devilish plans of James Sullivan and ultimately face off against the power of God itself to save humanity. Yeah, it gets big. As a man who openly admits to not giving a flying kick about the world of anime, I can safely say that Space Sweepers tells every trope, every cliche, every beat of a space opera, and indeed a live action anime. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. Oh sure, it was all a little bit predictable, but all the cogs came together perfectly. Again, I'm not one for big CGI fests either, but Space Sweepers looked absolutely gorgeous, thanks to the work of Dexter Studios, who made what could have been a mess of awful characterless designs leap out on screen and was just a delight to see. Huge credit too must go to the production designer of Space Sweepers, who created the perfect blend of sci-fi utopian architecture and the dirty cranks and levers of space travel with lots of lovely flashing lights and rusty bolts. Mm. So, in short, Space Sweepers is awesome. It runs a bit long, but it gets the story told without ever feeling too rushed, and is, in short, exactly the type of space opera I've been waiting to see for a long time. More like this, please. Adam, how many years have I known you, my dear boy? Oh, God. Uh, 16 years, 15, 15 years, 16 years, 15 years. Is that really? It's 15 years. Oh, bloody hell. Half a lifetime, more or less. Um, yeah, God. Yeah, You've uh, always been a storyteller. You've always loved stories. You've always been completely fascinated with... Am I dying? What's happening folklore. here? This is your life. <laughs> oh, God. You are... Um, you're not long for this world. It's been <laughs> lovely knowing you. Um, um, it's over. I yeah, you're you're a man of stories. You're a folklore man. You um, you've always been fascinated, and you know it's part of the reason why you love the kind of movies you do. Um, yes. And you have now decided it's time that you made a podcast exploring some local folklore. Yes. Tell me about that. Um, well, so. We've wanted to do well. I've wanted to do something sort of folklorey for a while now. I grew up with things like um, League of Gentlemen, which never hid its folklore background. So I was sort of reading into this and looking into it. Um, and so I borrowed a big pile of books from uh, from someone, and I've just been working my way through them. And as I was working my way through them, I thought, God, I need to write this down. So I started making a spreadsheet. A spreadsheet, Rob. I know you like. Of course, you made a spreadsheet. Look, I'll show Office you. nerd. Oh, look, I'll oh. show you. I thought I better write everything down. Oh wow! Look at that. Categorized by legend, monster, ghost, devil, and their locations. The idea being that if we need a story, a folklore-inspired story, and go, oh, I need a ghost. Oh, what about this one? Standard bearer was slain, and blah blah blah. blah. So that was the that was the the thing. I was thinking, let's get some research in. Let's do as much as possible. And then I realised that some of these stories are dumb. <laughs> some of these stories are really, really silly. Um, the, the sad fact is, in real, in the real world, most folklore witchcraft stories are just an old woman people didn't like very much. Yeah. 
uh, who might have said something fun at some point. Um, they didn't take t- kindly to their type. And, no. Yeah, and they tarred and feathered them. Um, and people's misinterpretations of, of like Bronze Age landmarks, and they go, oh, well, the devil built it. Who the devil built that? And all that good stuff. So I realised that this is kind of silly. Um, and I'm writing all this stuff down. I'm spending so many hours sort of recording this stuff. I could do something with it. So Spooky Stories was born. Um, on top, on the back of this research, I was uh, I just started reading some aloud, sort of theming them together, um, and figured that since we were a bit slack at the moment, our projects have dipped a bit because of Rona. Um, I thought I'd better release it for our Patreons. It's um, it's quite uh, interesting to delve into these these characters of sorts because some of them are so ridiculous. Um, to the point of like the storyteller and these people, like you say, who accuse people of doing this or doing that. Um, what is your favourite kind of story that you've come across so far? What's the most an example of the most lowbrow, ridiculous accusations and rumours that you've come across? Uh, there's lots of t- stories of noble people uh, having fun right. and everyone else not being very happy about it. There's one I read last night. Uh, yeah, so the uh, castle in Sawbridgeworth in Hertfordshire. That's the thing, I'm also trying to keep it local. Um, the castle in Sawbridgeworth that vanished, just disappeared one day. And it said that it was uh, inhabited by two sisters who were so wicked that the devil claimed them as his own. Ooh. And after a particularly, well, what, what's written here, a particularly wild orgy, a terrible storm arose, and the next morning the castle had vanished. My word. And all this sort of stuff. And there's all these tales of, you've got filthy, back, like, orgies. Oh, the devil take you then. <laughs> and they just vanish. Um, and all this kind of stuff. And there's lots of stories of witches who are seen to be riding on hurdles. I'm not quite sure what a hurdle is. No, unless they've just been into a gym locker and picked well, out some hurdles and flown off on them. The, the only thing I can think is, is it like a temporary barrier for sheep yeah maybe why are they riding it how are they riding it what well those didn't a lot of witches used to um pleasure themselves on such things well yeah but that's probably made up isn't it <laughs> yes quite possibly uh yeah it's, it's all silly I, um so yeah the episodes i'm releasing on patreon exclusive but i've been putting uh clips out on instagram so if you're interested and you want to hear just little snippets, you can find it there. I mean, the full episodes are on Patreon. But it's gone down really well. So I'm, the, I'm loving them. The, 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 the knockers, what are they called? The Tommy knockers. Well, the, yeah, the knockers of, of Cornwall and Wales. I, um, the little gremlins who live in the mines, basically. I always thought that, uh, like, sort of spiritual, paranormal sort of uh, weird things in mines. I always thought that was an American thing. But, uh, yes, I have learned to know that Cornwall was the source of the well, that's such the things. Cornwall, the Welsh and the Cornish were so well known for mining, they got deliberately migrated to America and Australia. Very cool. Hence New South Wales. It's definitely um, like something in the future there. We'll, we will need to go to these places and kind of get on the road and explore because I'm, I'm very fascinated by the kind of sheer ridiculousness of some of these stories. I like the ones with the little gremlin men. Yes. The little gnomy men. Yes. There's lots of little gnomy men around. 
Grumpy looking gnomy men. It's interesting because uh, I've been doing it locally, but I've been doing it by county. And it's interesting seeing the different flavours of stories. Mm. Hertfordshire was riddled with witches, it sounds like. Uh, Cambridge was a bit more... was a bit more kind of like poncy religious people. That's interesting. Um, Bedford's a lot more like ghosty, I think. It's kind of like Pokemon. But, well, but it's you're, a... you're like start off in Hertfordshire and there's just boring witches and then you go further afield into the other towns. Oh my goodness me, it's a little goblin man. A ghost type. Yeah, well, and, yeah. You know, it's it's very good. It's right up my street, all this business. Uh, well, it sort of ties into where people are from as well. Like, um, we've got lots of... we were on, I think we were in Danelaw. The Vikings invaded and it was around here. So there's lots of like anti-Danish sentiments stories of vikings being skinned alive and nailed to doors of churches and things wow well i mean everyone knows that people from hertfordshire hate the danes i mean i certainly I think do. that was more of a bedfordshire <laughs> thing actually oh or, them them more it might have been essex um lots of dragons around as well very cool but when they describe dragons what do you think of when you hear a dragon uh roaring winged giant reptile which breathes fire Okay, the fire, mostly correct. I think they all have some sort of elemental thing. Um, in Essex, dragons and Essex go hand in hand, and you'll find that most uh, dragons, sighted, recorded, slain by good Sir Knight, were about two metres long. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, as thick as a man's leg. <gasps> so. Sort of a snake, really, is oh, what you're talking. I thought, you were, I thought maybe it would have been a velociraptor. Oh yeah, maybe. Maybe it was dinosaurs. But that's the that's the sad fact, and lots of stories of like uh, basilisks and stuff. Cool. That kill you with their vision. Cool. Do you know how you defeat a basilisk? Um, you uh, yeah, yeah, stab it with the bat with the stab. You stab it. You don't stab it because it'll kill you. How do you do it? How do you kill? How do you kill you it? You wear. Very shiny armour. Oh, like Medusa sort of thing? Yeah, exactly Oh, that. interesting. Oh. I, my, I, my knowledge of basilisks is purely from Harry Potter and yeah, the Chamber of Secrets. If you stab, you'll die, because the poison will come up the, up, up the oh, weapon. Basilisk venom imbibes anything it touches. Oh. Ah. See, you probably know a lot of it anyway. Yeah, yeah. No, it's good fun. And uh, yeah, I like doing the silly voices as well. If you are interested in hearing the spooky stories then yes do check out our patreon at www.patreon.com yes slash hollowdale media uh also follow us at instagram and twitter at hollowdale media and you can see the little snippets oh exciting times well um on that note it's time to end the show i believe so yes thank you very much for joining us um I'm from Buenos Aires and I say kill them all! Yeah!